Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening and hello. There's a lot to get to. And, uh, you know, it just never seems to get uh, any less newsy. So let's dig right in. You've been told for the last couple of decades that the entire reason that we need to loosen migrant restrictions regarding the southern border, the reason that it's cruel and inhumane to, to put up a wall or perhaps desperately evil for governors like Greg Abbott of Texas to put up uh basically floating obstructions to keep people from flowing into the United States unrestricted is because these migrants are basically little children who are sick, who are quadriplegics with cancer, uh, who have just an aspiration to be a NASA astronaut, uh, pregnant mothers who are pregnant with like quintuplets um, who have basically wanted their entire life just to paint and, and they sing, I have a dream anytime they go anywhere, and aged fathers who, again, just want to see the sunrise crest on a mountain in the United States. These are who you were told are coming into the United States. This is who you were told is the reason that supporting a wall is if you don't build a if you build a wall that then you're going to be racist towards these people. You're xenophobic. If you don't really go all in and, and just support open borders everywhere, again, all of the progressive groups that are called open borders, you're, you're shutting out all of the moms and the children and the old men. And that's just really terrible. Only independent journalists and journalists that don't work for CNN and MSNBC uh, did this thing called taking cameras down to the southern border over the last few years and found that uh, many of the migrants don't exactly look like women and children and aged men at all. In fact, they're seeing something just a little bit different. Now, in in the heat of the moment, you might have perhaps missed that that entire group was comprised of 20-something-year-old men. Uh, You know, the the kind of of men that are military age um, and are not desperate, hopeless young women and children and old men just seeking a better life into the the, the huddled masses that the Statue of Liberty was talking about. Everybody, come on, it's just the same as as a Jewish family escaping the Nazis. That's all the same. Oh, wait, no, it's it's 20-something-year-old men who who should be cleaning up their own country and and protecting the very women and, and children that are said to be fleeing into the United States. Uh, So that's kind of falling apart. And then every once in a while, you know, you will get a little bit of footage uh, of the uh, United States southern border wall sections. And you see something like this. So you see a child crossing through the wall, uh, another girl, and then what appears to be her mother. And then uh, it's all dudes in their 20s and 30s more dudes in their 20s and 30s and then there is the uh, southern border patrol doing absolutely nothing just kind of standing there on orders if you actually go up and talk to the border agents as many of my colleagues have done they'll tell you that they would love to you know restrict unimpeded travel into the united states no one's scanning their ids no one's checking to see if they're on the terror watch list even though you know fbi director christopher ray has openly admitted that many iranian-backed 
uh, members of the terror watch list are flowing into the United States and we're only catching a toddler's handful of them. And if that doesn't scare you, not even all of the immigrants even look like they should be coming from Latin America. Uh, Here is a group of Chinese immigrants who were stopped at the border in California. Uh, According to U.S. Border Patrol, Chinese nationals and unidentifieds, end quote, at the California border. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, uh, Chinese nationals uh, are not typically born in Ecuador and Venezuela and Guyana and Honduras and Nicaragua and Mexico. Um, You're not going to find a lot of uh, Chinese nationals and other Chinese unidentifieds um, coming through Belize. But they're coming into the United States and they're all in their mid-20s and they're all of war uh, readiness age. They're all the age they should be fixing their own countries, yet they're coming here. And they're not coming here to pursue collegiate doctorates and pursue a better life. No, these are the same groups that are often smuggling in drugs, that are often smuggling children for the sex trade, um, that the FBI is making uh, record numbers of busts in. That is, of course, you know, when they're not investigating Catholics. And the southern border continues to be wide open. And Kamala Harris, our glorious vice president who um, spent more of her time giving sexual favors during her rise to the vice presidency than actually showing any leadership aptitude, went down to the border to do something, I guess. We're we're still not sure what it is. And you can't ask uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre what's going on at the border because she has no idea. No one has any idea. We drag people before the committee hearings in the House and in the Senate. Senator Kennedy asks people directly, what are you doing? And they go, it's very complex, Senator. There's a lot that's going on. Yes, that's right. There is a lot that's going on. Shut the border. Shut the U.S. southern border. There's no reason for it to remain open at the present time. And I I was listening to Hammer and Nigel before the show began, and they're absolutely right. We are facing an invasion. We're not facing a a masterfully orchestrated invasion of, of one country thrusting its troops into the United States, although I do have some concerns about the Chinese nationals that are seeping into our country, a lot like certain refugees during the Soviet era. But we are witnessing... A, an unprecedented level of individuals who could not fix their own country, so they are here to cause chaos in ours. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do even with where these individuals were born. But you should greatly hold suspect anyone at all who causes that kind of uh, trouble, who breaks those kind of laws, again, when they are males in their 20s. Kind of suspicious, don't you think? Up next, we're going to be talking with Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Joining us this evening is Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee, and uh, he's been shaking all kinds of things up. It is one of the fastest growing states in the union at this point. And uh, I tell you what, we often complain about a lot of uh, government programs that stink. So when a pilot program is a huge success, kind of turns a few heads, ears and eyes. Governor Lee, how's it going, sir? Good, Tony. How are you doing today? Absolutely stellar. I like a dreary fall day. I don't know what the weather is like down there in Tennessee. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I actually love winter. And when the when the leaves fall and you can see the woods, uh, it's a beautiful time of year. 
It, it really is. So tell you what, let's not waste any time here. Uh, you obviously had a really huge success with the kind of pilot program of how you guys have done school choice. You focused originally on uh, inner city students in three of Tennessee's cities. And those were uh, Nashville. And then uh, was it not Knoxville it was Memphis and Chattanooga. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. We, we, uh, we began with the largest urban centers. Um, and really, uh, part of that came from my past experience way before I became the governor. I, I worked with an at-risk inner-city youth program, Medicaid. Uh, had an experience with that kid where I saw he, we, we, he moved from a school where he was failing every subject into right. a into another school and had a tremendously different outcome. And it, it, it really inspired me as it relates to school choice. And that's what got me started 10 years ago. And then when we came, when I came into office, we focused first on those urban centers where the need is tremendously uh, important. So just to kind of wrap things up under a neat little bow, the program was successful and wildly successful because I spoke to those parents. Uh, I've gone down to Tennessee a couple of times in the last couple of years. Uh, back when I was a uh, public administrator for a science director for IPS, I focused a lot on kind of Midwestern and mid-central states and how they did education. And I was really impressed because I worked at an inner city school. And seeing how Tennessee was kind of changing how things were done for its inner city students, you know, really pulled at the heartstrings to be very transparent. Now you're taking that program that gave inner city kids an opportunity and you're kind of expanding it across the state. Give us a kind of a snapshot of what's going on down there in Tennessee. Well, you know, um, one of the things that we found in the last you know, in the last few years is that what we knew to be true in those urban center schools is true for everyone. And right. what, that, what that, that truth is, is that a parent, when given an option and given a choice about their child's education, they will make the choice that is in the best interest of their kid. No one cares more. No one knows better about what's best for their kid uh, as, it, as it relates to her education, certainly than the parent. And so what we saw in those in that pilot program uh, really just affirmed that every parent ought to have that same option and that same choice in, in my thought. So that's one of the things that I thought was kind of curious here, because a lot of a lot of school choice opposition, for example, what Texas is facing right now, uh, the, the, a lot of complaints that come from, well, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know how it's going to affect kids. But you actually rolled out a pilot program that identified key students that were in trouble and gave their parents the opportunity and said, all right, let's test the theory. Are parents actually going to put uh, their kids in a better school? We talked to this uh, one mother. Uh, her name is Ariel. And uh, Ariel Munson, a lovely lady, had her two sons, um, one stayed in a public school and one ended up going to a private school by her choice. And her son that went to a private school, she said he's blossomed. He started flourishing. He's picked up civics and a little bit of engineering and all of these different skills and things that he's really put to the test. I could see why. After looking at those results, you would want to expand it out. And the opposition to such measures don't really have much of a leg to stand on because the evidence in favor of that school choice program is so potent and, and, and so 
there's just so much evidence in the positive that it's really hard to argue against it. I'm, I'm really excited to see what, you know, where it goes out. I know there are a lot of students in Knoxville that are really looking forward uh, to getting to be a part of this. You know, uh, you talk about the evidence, the biggest piece of evidence that is so encouraging to me is that 91% of the parents that have a child in that program, that, education savings account program, mm-hmm. 91% of the parents believe that their child is having a better outcome. Wow. They're, they're satisfied with uh, the educational outcomes for their children. That is, that is the evidence that you need. No one knows better. You know, I was a, I, I was a father of four children, school age children. I now have nine grandchildren. So kids and grandkids that, uh, that are all very different. My kids were homeschooled. They were in private school. They were in public school. Different kids at different times with different needs. I I knew my kids better than anyone, and I knew what they needed most in order to be academically successful. And and I was the one most interested in their success. So that, that whole idea, the evidence does show and prove, and you see that in states that have had these programs for some time, right? Both both public schools and private schools. Most importantly, education outcomes for kids improve. And at the end of the day, this it's really not about a particular system or a particular kind of school. It's about children and their success, and and parents' ability to navigate that success for their kids. That's precisely it, because the kind of the unifying point that a lot of individuals on the left and the right can kind of come together on when it comes to education is that parents should be more involved. The more involved a parent is, the more likely a better outcome is at play. And that is one of the reasons this program is successful is because it gives parents, it kind of pulls them into the driver's seat more directly and says, take your kid where you want them to go and the complete freedom to do that generates positive, I mean, you know, in the academic sense, we say positive outcomes, but it generates good things. It does. And in reality, when we pull away all the academic language and all the policy language, kids are better off. And that is the bottom line. And kids that are better off growing up in Tennessee tend to stick around in Tennessee and, and make the state better. And hearing you talk about this so passionately is encouraging because I'm really tired of the stale method of policy procedure where we just kind of pull up the matrix and chart our way through. And so it's so it's much of a chagrin to hear you talk about the different environments for your kids and the way that parents look at it. it it's kind of refreshing. Uh, so so thank you from one parent and a guy who studied ed policy. It's refreshing to hear someone talk about it this way. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and you know, I do think. Uh, you, you, I think you use the word stale, but, you know, I, I, I remind people all the time, we have to be continuously, innovatively thinking about how we educate kids. I mean, this is a changing world. It's a changing environment. It's a changing society. Our, you know, our educational outcomes in this country have vastly fallen behind from where they were just a couple of decades ago. Right. And, we, that's because we haven't changed anything. We have the same basic model for educating kids that we had, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I, I ran a company for 25 years before I became governor. And, you know, in business, you 
you don't do the same thing year after year after year. You have strategic planning meetings every year and you have continuous improvement plans every year. And you decide that you need to make an adjustment to the way you market or the way you operate or the way you execute. And it should not be different in sort of government programs like education. Um, we shouldn't be doing things the same way we did 25. And the only thing we're doing different now than we did a few years ago is we're in my view and in a whole lot of parents views, we are, uh, you know, we're bringing into the classroom things that parents may or may not want their kids to learn mm. uh, methods they may or may not believe in. And th that even adds to the, the strength of the idea that the more choices we give, the more innovative our entire educational trajectory will be for this country. And it, it's just time to make changes for a change in world. Well said. Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee introducing uh, the education choice platform that worked well in three of Tennessee cities to far more students with a plan to roll it out uh, all the way by 2025. Governor, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Just a curbside profit with my hand. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Joined this evening by Rags of the podcast Every Frame a Pause. Uh, it's on YouTube whenever uh, they air a new episode. And I say that because the images that go along with it are uh, just as good as the audio. Rags, have you heard about uh, the recent collapse of all of these movies and TV shows that they keep putting out? It's like all of the audience Rotten Tomato scores are just abysmal. I have heard about them, though the audience Rotten Tomato scores for a lot of these shows are not nearly as low as I think they should be. Uh, we've certainly gotten a lot of criticism ourselves, a lot of us whining, that we're too harsh on movies, that we can't enjoy anything. But I think the recent... Well, let's put it a little bit into perspective. The Marvels recently has essentially ended its run uh, in theaters. That is to say, they're going to stop reporting how much money that it takes in. Right. Uh, as of, I think, about a day ago, the $220 million budget movie has only made $197 million internationally, which is a huge loss because, of course, the studio doesn't take every dollar that it makes at the theater, they only take a certain percentage and then you have the marketing budgets and all the other costs. So not, not, not even making your budget back your production budget is a, uh, that is really, really bad. And this has sort of been a, a long time coming. It's been years in the making. Uh, whether you ask some people, whether it's the, the Marvel cinematic universe specifically where the, where the turning point was, a lot of people can agree that things ain't what they used to be. And I think it's because most movies now, particularly Marvel movies, they just suck. They're terrible. They stink. 
Uh, and so a lot of people don't go and see them. What really gets in, in, on me in the back of my mind, and I know that a lot of people criticize the Every Frame uh, Pause crew because, again, you guys criticize the modern state of movies, but you guys also have your favorite movies. You have your movies and your shows that you think have been done well. Yeah. And whether that's you or Mahler or Fringy, um, that you guys have what you say, these are great examples of writing. And when you do see shows, like, again, I think of Andor from Star Wars, in which there are great elements, you guys point those out and you offer heat of praise and say, see, this is this is what we like. That's uh, right. Andor is the best Star Wars content we've gotten in 40 oh, hands years. Down. Hands down. And it, it bothers me because I, I see people, even uh, a guy named Stephen Ken who comes on and does a weekly segment with us, uh, he still really thinks that uh, the Mandalorian is kind of just as good as Andor and Andor is kind of boring. And I'm, I'm shocked because the world building that occurs in Andor is captivating. Yeah. And the, oh man, the loss. The Mandalorian has managed to, I don't want to be mean and say that it's fooled a lot of people, but it's fooled a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I find the Mandalorian to be incredibly boring. There is basically no stakes. Nothing that you see really matters. There's no logic. The plot makes no sense. The characters are virtually non-existent. Right. And if you think so, then I believe that you're the victim of being fooled. You've been fooled. You've been had. You've been so, bamboozled. You, speaking of those who've been smeckledorfed, uh, I think that you, you talked about the fact that there are like no characters anymore and that really all that we're left with. And I think back to Mahler's original criticism of uh, Captain Marvel and that she was just plank of wood. And he calls her plank through the entire criticism yeah. because there's nothing to her A character. A lot of characters are like that now. I don't and, want to say it's mostly ladies, but it's by and large. A lot of characters now are just nothing or they're worse. At least nowadays when I say, oh, this character has basically no traits whatsoever right. and no personality, that means that I'm not saying that they're horrifically written or they're genocidal or they're, 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 they're just they're morally repugnant or they're completely contradictory. But that's how low things have sunk yeah, it's like it's like all characters are modeled after a bottle of Dasani water, and it's like ah, no, Dasani is refreshing <laughs> and useful, uh, and, and it cools me down on a hot summer day and it waters my crops. Uh, but the I want it, it's coincidentally um, sometimes I go to my uh, parents' place and me and my dad we watch a movie, oftentimes an old movie, sure. and we watched a movie from I think it was 1951, long time ago called when worlds collide tonight it's a, like an 82 minute movie from 1951 and it was pretty good and it had characters right it had it had a, a decent cast of characters and they were all kind of different they all behaved in different ways and wanted different things and in a way um it was a bit simplistic uh, his code 1951 long time ago and of course it was only 82 minutes long you had crammed a lot of stuff in there um but even going back further than that, you have stuff like um, Citizen Kane and Casablanca. And it got me thinking, if a movie has good characters, that's like the most important thing, kind of, other than like basic logic and comprehensibility. If, right. if a movie's got good characters, that will do so much. You could, put the, you, you could put the most interesting characters just in a room with no plot whatsoever. And that will probably be a good movie if it's just interesting characters doing and saying things and interacting. 
Well, I mean, it, you know, to it, kind of bring to bear, Seinfeld kind of proved that, right? I mean, you had characters with some interesting flaws, and for a sitcom, um, and, and a Larry David sitcom at that, I mean, you actually had some really interesting kind of conversations that popped up and are still regurgitated because the characters themselves were interesting, and at least, even though there really wasn't development, they had depth. But that's, well, I would love to run off on that rabbit trail. Oh, yeah, kind comedies of wanted like to that are great places to get good characters, whether right. it's the Gilmore Girls or not the Gilmore, the Golden Girls. <laughs> the you you scared me for a second (laughs) the golden girls or hogan's heroes or any of these other shows mash uh yeah mash the characters are they're paramount you've got to get good characters i know my parents would watch everyone loves uh raymond oh yeah Uh, deborah yeah everyone everyone's just everyone loves these characters they're all they're all different and they don't need incredible development uh, in fact, uh, one of my co-hosts, Fringy, made a great video on why you don't have to have characters that develop, that having a static character is okay, mm-hmm. um, because that's what most of us are. Generally, right. in our lives, we're pretty static. We change gradually over time. But if a character is good and interesting and they're not contradicting themselves, then you have the foundations of what is a great story. No, I think that you're really hitting it right on the head. But here's this is kind of the reason that I bring up Marvels and the new decade of sucky movies, as I've heard it called. Remember back in the aughts when you would that was when sequels really started getting churned out. And uh, you would see a good movie and you would think in the back of your mind, they're going to make a crappy sequel about that. Uh, so like an animated movie, like, you know, Despicable Me, regardless of what you think about the sequels, Despicable Me, the original was good. So you thought, ah, they're going to well, make a sequel straight to VHS sequels or the, the straight to DVD sequels. A lot of those times they wouldn't even go to theaters. They'd just be Alice mm-hmm. has put out a sequel for yeah, like Aladdin two and three. No, yeah. well, I, mm, I will. Well, Aladdin three uh, is really Aladdin good. Three was actually quite good. It's, yeah. I, it's one of the my return favorites. Return of Jafar is, uh, because yeah, uh, Robin Williams of, isn't in it. Yeah, it was either Prince of Thieves or King of Thieves. Yeah, the Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Yeah, that was Sorry. actually a really good movie. Yeah, solid <laughs> sequel. Bad example on my part. But the reason I bring that up is that I feel like it then you had to have a good movie in order to have a sequel. And now with Captain Marvel into Marvels, I was shocked because like the reception to Captain Marvel was so universally bad that to make a sequel and then like pretend it was going to do well is like you're supposed to take a good movie well and make this a stuff sequel. is planned out years in advance when they think they can do no wrong and when they think that as long as they slap mcu or star wars on it it'll make a lot of money remember the first captain marvel uh made over a billion dollars and i think that's almost entirely due to the fact that it was in between uh, avengers infinity war and uh avengers endgame it was in that it was in, it was at the the, the peak I think a lot of people would say of MCU content where everyone was just really into it. We had all this cast of strong characters. We actually had Mm. Avengers. Um, We had plenty of good movies before then, plenty of bad ones, but plenty of good ones too. And the peak of investment is when this movie comes out, makes a billion. But I think if they would have released essentially any movie uh, in the MCU, it would have made a billion. But the, um, the, the environment has shifted so much. We've had so many terrible shows, so many terrible movies that have come out since then. And we've been talking about characters. There's no characters to be invested in anymore. So why should I go see the oh. Marvels? Who is, who is Kamala Khan? I don't, right. I don't even know who, who's Monica Rambeau and I, who's Carol Danvers. We've even, she even got her own movie and I still don't really know what she is. Oh, but let me guess. Let, let me guess. They're all brave 
and determined <laughs> and strong. All okay. cutouts of All Katniss right. Everdeen. We got it. We did it. So I, I kind of want to dive in from this to, uh, to to Christmas movies. If you have enough time to stick around for another 10 minutes-ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett, joined by Rags. And I got to ask, just right off the top of the bat, have you seen some of the new Christmas movies that are coming out? Are you a Christmas movie kind of guy? What happens after Thanksgiving around your house? Um, mostly video games. Uh, I, I don't watch a lot of Christmas stuff, not because I don't like them. Uh, I just don't end up watching a lot of Christmas-themed movies. Right. Uh, so it, it's mostly just coincidental uh, other than anything else. I couldn't tell you the last Christmas movie that I watched. So I have I have homework for you. And uh, oh, whether God. or not I'm, I'm in the position to give you homework is just certainly here and far in between. But uh, kind of going on how you talked about watching kind of some older movies with your dad, kind of from the 50s in which there were characters. And it was a decent movie. And you can actually see some things in contrast to kind of the modern hallmark churning mill in which it's the same story repainted 800 different ways because yeah and that paint is almost always red and green but yeah yeah. exactly (laughs) exactly if you have never actually seen with bing crosby the white christmas you really should go and watch it. it it is i didn't see it until a couple of years ago my wife like forced me to sit down because it sounded so uninteresting So I sit down and watch this old movie and I didn't really care about being Crosby and kind of forced myself to sit down and and kind of get through it. And it became my favorite Christmas movie, Uh, even more than than Home Alone, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I think it's a great movie because, again, it actually has real characters and it has real people. And there's not a huge amount of development, but it's a really good, solid story on a really interesting premise that doesn't feel regurgitated. And it was so unique, like as to a movie that every time I go back and I watch it, there's something new that I pick up. And it's a Christmas movie, right? You're not supposed to be picking up little things from a Christmas movie. Just like people in Hollywood say, you're not really supposed to be picking up really grand life lesson from a kid's movie or a kid's show. That's why they're so lower it's often value. the excuse of bad ones. Yeah. Right. So I, I guess kind of what I'm throwing at you is, do you think that, kind of just all through all media. We talk about kids movies a lot because that's who consumes the most media would be, would be kids. Do we need to start elevating the standard of writing that we have for things like, can Christmas movies be good again? I guess I know you're not a Christmas movie guy, but can we return to a time in which the quality, are we going to get out of this sucky decade of movies and TV shows and not just in kids shows and not just in the MCU and star Wars, but like all over, is there a light at the end of the tunnel here? Or are we just going to keep beating our head against the rocks reminiscing about movies in the fifties? Yeah, I I think so. Um, I think that generally if you have a consistent period of really bad quality, people will notice it. I think if you're, I mean, Disney is the prime example, of course, Right. Um, when their big mainline MCU movie comes out, doesn't even make its budget back, uh, that is a big deal. 
And there's already news about what they're going to do, what they're going to change, the kind of new approach they're going to take. And so we'll see how that actually manifests, but it's going to be big changes for them. Um, there will always be good movies. There will always be bad movies. Hmm. I think that especially in a day and age where YouTubers and podcasters and, you know, radio show hosts and all of us, we have a particularly a, a more prominent role. I think right. not to self aggrandize, but I think a lot of people get their news and their movie opinions and their um, movie thoughts. They listen to those from people that they trust on the internet. Absolutely. Um, it's just, it's just a guy. It's just a gal. It's just some, a couple dudes or a couple bros or whatever. They're just talking about movies. And a lot of people gravitate towards ones they feel are honest and earnest and insightful. And so in a way, each of us has our part to play that hasn't really been, um, as prominent as it is now as it was uh or sorry it wasn't as prominent in the past as it is now anyone can just pick up a microphone make a youtube channel start talking about movies and maybe it really picks up steam so um i feel very hopeful it's always nice to see that terrible movies are you know reviewed terribly and don't make money i want every movie to right. be good i want every movie to be great and well written with great characters and a plot that makes sense but you know that's a bit of a fantasy but I can still cross my fingers, but ultimately, yes, I am optimistic. Um, each of us has a part to play. Go see the movies. You know, go support the movies that you think are good, uh, preferably ones that actually are really good, and don't go see the movies that are bad. Uh, it's like every corporation. It's kind of like an animal. It's a wild beast. It has to be trained on, you know, on, on this, that, and the other thing, and they'll follow the money ultimately. That's a really good point. I haven't really thought over enough is that, you know, you had a time in which if you really wanted to hear about whether a movie or a restaurant for crying out loud was good, you like subscribed to, you know, certain critics paper in the newspaper or like Washington Post or Time or whatever. And now no one cares what those critics have to say. Yes, they've, they've dwindled in their importance. And a lot of them are extreme. It's kind of the opposite thing has kind of happened things have sort of inverted not just in terms of audience sizes but in terms of reputation there are so many and people are really aware that a lot of these places are just shill websites and they uh, you always wonder about the the corruption of it in terms of you know what, what are they allowed to say about disney before they're not invited back or what friends have they made in the industry that they're trying not to step upon the toes of whereas you know just jim bob and billy on the swamp cast or whatever they'll they'll just they'll just say that yeah i hated this movie because it sucked and here's why and yeah that's right billy it sure did oh boy and, and that'll be that and they trust those guys and they have more reputation than all these you know who's suit wearing tie wearing who's is i write for newspapers i write articles your your accents are spectacular Gee, I, thank we're, you. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to give you a marconi radio award just for that all honestly. right yeah, uh, but the Marconi Award is also the only award that I know of for radio. So, yeah, that's what um, they mean when they say Google me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. At, at the end of all of this sucky decade of movies, because you can make an argument that once we hit the 20 teens, like kind of the mid 20 teens, things just went downhill real fast. It felt like doing yeah, this- a shift. Yeah, like this long, like you said that they charted out these movies, you know, years in advance, you know, with the Marvels. And so it didn't matter whether the first movie did, we're just going to keep going in this direction because people will just consume, consume, consume. I got to ask, do you you think that there's somebody on the inside of these, you know, organizations now that their job is to look and listen for, 
you know, those of us goobers online that are issuing these opinions kind of in road find in our mass. families. Yes. They're outside <laughs> my house right now. They know where I live, but this is Arkansas. Don't you come in. I know my rights. Well, we're just, I, you know, you and I are in flyover country as it is. They, no, I mean, but to, to, to get ideas, not, not to find who you are. Um, yeah, just so to, they just need, like, there are absolutely people who are aware. It's just like with the like video game developers, with, you know, movie studios. When you're selling a product to a large amount of people and you need to, like I said, the Marvels, right? That's the last, it was the last MC movie they did. It was yeah, absolutely terrible, by the way. Avoid at all costs. You probably haven't heard of it <laughs> anyway. Um, but <laughs> didn't even make back its budget. Like, what was its budget? 50 million? 100 million? No, 220 million. 220 so million dollars just to make the thing. Gracious. Um, and so when you have stakes that big, when the scale of your production is that massive, you have to have people who are, who are looking watching what are people saying what are people doing what do people think they do all of their internal polls they do all of their um their, their tests of different movie endings mm-hmm. i think that in a lot of ways movies have become just content to put out just put it out get it on the streaming service put it out in the theaters it's it's, it's disney it's star wars it's the movie they'll, they'll go and see it right they'll just go and see it make sure that it is it is chemically engineered to be the most content content that ever was so that the people will pay us their money and they will watch the moving pictures and then we will make next content and it didn't and work it it worked for it doesn't seem like it has any heart i don't begrudge your company for trying to make a lot of money. Sure. But when the stuff you make out sucks, then I do have a problem because it doesn't seem like these movies have much artistry to them. Ha- no. Ha- have you seen, did you go see Oppenheimer? Uh, I did. I, I did the, uh, I did the barman, the Barbenheimer thing and oh, I actually yeah. watched them back to back. Yeah. I, I also saw Barbie and Oppenheimer and one of those movies was really, really good. And the other was Barbie yeah. and <laughs> Oppenheimer. <laughs> I guess even, you know, maybe I'm being slightly too harsh on Barbie, which is not a phrase I thought I'd ever say, but both of those movies radically different. And even though Barbie sucked, it had artistry to it. There was some level of like passion and creativity that went into that awful movie. And with Oppenheimer, it was, it turned out to be really good, even though it was a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, but no, but it had like there's there's a level of passion that went into it, like all these actors doing their best on a script that was good. And there was a great music and the way that everything was edited, like the, someone cared. A human being had some sort of artistic vision that they put under the screen. And then you watch Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and then you watch the Marvels and you're like, what? Who did what, this? Like, who what did robot this? assembled uh. this based on an algorithm? And not to say that artistic vision can't be bad, because it certainly can. I mean, like right. Ahsoka was god-awful, and mm. that was full of uh, artistic vision. But it doesn't seem like, the in a lot of the cases, there just doesn't seem to be any passion. There's like, there's no people involved. We'll, we'll have to bring you back on to talk about villains at some point, because Ahsoka, I think, is the genuine death of how, how you write a good villain, especially when they had such a good one at hand. Unfortunately, we're actually a little over time, so I have to cut it short. That's right. Rags of every frame, a pause. Thanks for hopping on, man. You are listening to the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. 